It's your Thursday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to have you guys back for another one. Excited about today's show. I'm excited always for these podcasts. It's not just a job. It's fun for me um, and fun to bring you shows day after day because it's you know just a little variety, a little something different every day. And today is no exception. Got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Casey Hankinson, former Gophers hockey player. I covered him like half a, not half a century, come on, a quarter of a century. That's better. Still feeling old, but uh, not quite half century old. Quarter century ago when he played for the Gophers and I was at the Minnesota Daily, University of Minnesota. Um, Casey will join me to talk about this year's Gophers team, still very much connected to that program. He's done some uh, analyst work, I believe, on Bally Sports North this year. And uh, caught up with him. Just talk about this year's team. They played Canisius in the first round of the NCAA tournament on Thursday, today, later on tonight, I guess, actually, is what it is. And uh, so just really, you know, good conversation with Casey just about the state of the program and, and the connection he's felt to that team this year. So I hope you enjoy that conversation. You got a Vikings survey that I saw um, recently. I don't know exactly what to make of it. I don't think the methodology is very sound, but it does indicate that a lot of you are very negative about the Vikings when it comes to this year's free agency and on social media. So I'll get to that in a little bit. Got a listener question that I want to get to and a new song to play before listeners' questions. A little ba- a little backstory behind that as well. So hope you enjoy that. Um, and at the end of the show, we will get to um, big signing for Minnesota United. Sangbin Jung coming here, midfielder, expected to help with the attack. So that will be a big deal for them to get him in here now. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. First, though, what did I miss? Got to talk Timberwolves. I know some of you on the feedback uh, that I've gotten say, too much Wolves, too much Wolves, but this time it is warranted. Carl Anthony Towns playing for the first time in more than 50 games and the first time in in almost four months since injuring his calf. Comes back nine games left in the regular season comes back for a home game against the Hawks. And you really couldn't have scripted it much better if you're Carl Anthony Towns with the way this game played out. Makes the winning free throws with three seconds left in regulation. Wolves win 125-124. to 124. A lot of twists and turns in that game. Turns out um, referees saying the, the Hawks, the Wolves should have been called for a foul on the Hawks' last possession. I'm sure we'll see the two-minute report saying they messed that up. The Wolves finally on the right end of a two-minute report. Uh, will, will wonders never cease? They finally get one to go their way. 37-37 and 37 now. We'll talk about the playoff implications in a minute. But first, now I want to talk about you know the Towns situation over the last few months. It's gotten us pretty cynical, right? It's gotten me fairly cynical about the secrecy or the lack of information coming out about his injury, about his calf strain. When's he coming back? What, what What's the team hiding? What Why is this taking so long? What is the real story here? And, you know, I think there was some, some missteps by the team along the way. I think they could have handled this better. I think they could have been more forthright. Um, but also what I probably found out along the way is that at a certain point, a lot of you don't care so much about that, and especially you did not care about it Wednesday night when he came back and played. Loud ovation for Carl Anthony Towns in this game when he you know, announced in the starting lineup and has a productive game, scores the game-winning points. So it's a good reminder for me that I get cynical. I, I look for these kind of you know ulterior motives. I, I, like to, I like to find the conspiracy theories in these things. I don't know exactly what happened along the way, but I, it's a good reminder for me that for some people, that just doesn't matter. And at this point, it doesn't matter to a lot of you what happened along the way. What matters is that Carl Anthony Towns is back now and contributed big time to a win they needed to have. 
here is Towns talking about the game and just kind of coming back the way he did and, and being able to contribute in those final moments. Like I said, this is what movies is made of. You know, you come back, 51 games, missing sellout crowd, target center. And, you know, you get the ball with seven seconds left, no timeouts. You got to make it. I mean, that's – it doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that. So to be able to uh, come up big for my teammates was, you know, all I've ever wanted to do sitting on the sideline. I just wanted to be out there to help them and, and contribute to winning, and I'm glad I was able to do that tonight. And again, after the game, you could sense what this meant to him. You could sense what being out meant to him. Um, you know, he was asked after the game, he was just in the post-game media uh, availability, you know, he was kind of asked like what, what the emotions were of the day, what it meant to have that ovation from the fans. Here is Towns on that as well. Shout out to the fans, you know, just the love they 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 gave to me coming back. I mean, it's 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 it, it truly helps and it, and it, and it really is uh, appreciated, you know, sitting in that house for so many days and not being able to play basketball, only be able to watch the TV, you know, um, it's crazy, you know, I, I understand how people feel at home when you're screaming at the TV, telling the players what to do, and then they not doing what you're telling them to do. You know, it gets frustrating. So um, I just I'm just so happy that I'm in the spot where I'm able to, like, contribute. And, you know, today was one of those days where I felt the whole day, you know, it, I didn't feel really nervous. You know, you know, you're coming back, you feel nervous. I, I just felt like I belonged. In, in this jersey I belonged in this jersey I've earned the, the right and the moment to be in this jersey so coming here it just felt like a normal like a game day um before I got hurt and uh, you know obviously emotions are running high I'm just so happy you know to be on the court I'm, I'm excited to go back on the court um but for me experience just kicked in you know just keeping my emotions in check just truly uh appreciating moment but not letting the moment overcome me so bottom line i think you saw a guy who just missed basketball a lot on uh, on wednesday night and i don't know how the regular season is going to play out the rest of the way i do know they had to have that game um they're 37 and 37 now they would have lost that game they would have been in real trouble in the western conference standings as it is i think they're in seventh right now those teams are so bunched together the wolves have a bunch of tiebreakers in their favor it's really going to come down to how they play in these last eight games. They've got some tough ones. They've got some winnable ones. Um, they've got some teams that are right around them in the standings. I think that last game against the Pelicans here at Target Center is going to be huge. Uh, the game against the Lakers is going to be important because the Lakers are right there, although the Wolves have already secured that tiebreaker. Um, there's just going to be so many games along the way in these last eight. They're going to determine their fate, but they had to have this one to get that to get those clutch plays at the end, to get Towns with that bucket at the end or those three throws at the end, that to me tells me that they are a team that at least could make those plays in the end of this game. And for, for Towns to do it, I don't know. It, it, it did, I didn't know how he would look in this first game back. He looked awfully good. Almost looked like he didn't miss a beat. And that for the Wolves is great news. We'll see how it goes the rest of the way. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Uh, let's bring in Casey Hankinson now. Like I said at the jump, um, former Gophers hockey player, captain, great guy I've kept in touch with over the years. Um, I talked to him on uh, on Wednesday. The very first part of our conversation, for some reason, got cut off, so I'm just going to kind of set the scene for you know the first 30 seconds that, that didn't get played here. But I basically asked him at the beginning, you know, what 
what this season of Gophers hockey, Gophers number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament, rocking Mariucci Arena, 10,000 fans at a lot of these games, what that's meant to him as an alum watching these games and kind of having this program be revived the way it has been. That's what you know. I grew up on is that big sign of Mariucci pride on ice and right. oh, a simple slogan. It means a lot. And I think Bob has done an incredible job of creating a team culture there. I feel it as alumni for sure. I feel actually part of the team, which is good news or bad news. And so you get <laughs> you get invested. And I think all these players are vested in the process in the team and they are so fun to watch, not just because they're skilled, but for their determination, their work ethic. So there's a lot of pride watching this hockey team. Is that, I mean, obviously you're going to have pride in your school, no matter what. I mean, you were a captain, you know, back in the nineties, you, you, you know, you had a long family legacy there, but you know, when it, when it goes through kind of the, the ebbs and flows of, you know, of a, of the ups and downs of, of a program and, you know, and, and hit some, you know, hit some low points in the last 20 years that, you know, weren't, weren't forever, but you know, when you see attendance wane, you see the team not having as much success. Do you, how much, how much do you lose some of that connectivity, whether it's strictly wins and losses or whether it's just an overall feeling of connectedness to the program? Well, we talked off uh, line a little bit about there's so much to do, especially as you get yeah. older with kids and parents and teams. And so it's easy for go for hockey just to get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Right. But, you know, my assessment of it is there's always a lot of skill that is there, but there seems to be an abundance of character this year. And, you know, when teams get along, they play well. And I don't know what comes first. They play well and they get they, they get along or they get along and they play well. But even Nye's coming back. I mean, most people probably, I would have thought that he left. He had a great year last year and he's gone. But what a smart thing for him to do. Come back in this year as a sophomore, have a great season. And you need special players like that that have leadership, that have character, that just drive the bus. And I think Bob realizes that as he's gone on with his tenure in coaching, his character matters. And this team has a lot of it. And so it's easy to get connected to people that are doing well and, and high integrity. And I feel like it's easy to stay connected to this team because they're just so intriguing and they have so much character. Now, a lot of people have weighed in on this and it's, you know, some of it's recency bias, some of it's apples, oranges whatever other fruit you want to throw it in the mix, but that, that top line right now, the nice line with, with, with the young guys, how, where does that to you, a, a, a gopher hockey historian to a certain degree, where does that to you, where do you put that line in, in all the lines you've seen throughout gopher hockey history? Well, my immediate reaction is who cares? Let's just watch them and have fun. <laughs> That's I mean, right. I, like I, it. I, I was, I, I wasn't around with Broughton, but I got to imagine that line was pretty dang good. I wasn't yes. around when John Masich was around. So that line had to be pretty dang good. Uh, I just, I don't feel like there's any need to say this is the best. I feel like people say that then two people, then three people, then four people, and all of a sudden you've got a story. Yep. They're just a really fun line to watch. Uh, are, have there been lines better than them? I don't know. I haven't seen them all, sure. um, but they're, they are, they are special. Um, you know, I hope they stay that way because, hey, hockey is a weird thing. It can change on a dime. You never know. And it doesn't feel like it's going to, but I certainly hope that they continue to have the chemistry that they have. And they've been a lot, a lot. Having said all what I said, they've been a lot of fun to watch this year. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, Casey, as you think about, you know, you went through a lot of playoff battles back in the day. Like I said, you were a captain multiple times. You just kind of threw out your playing career you were captain a lot of different places you you were you know leadership obviously matters but but this time of year with 
postseason when it's a one it's a one and done situation now that they're in NCAA tournament playing Canisius on Thursday and hopefully many more games after that for that program what what is what is kind of the the element of of playoff hockey or just clutch performance in general that you think you know as a player as a former player you think matters the most what are some of those elements that allow people to elevate their game this time of year you have to crave it. You literally have to crave the pressure and crave those situations. A quote I love is everything that you want is on the other side of fear. Huh. And there are players and teams that will be fearful of making a mistake. And I don't want to do this because that could mean that. And right. your best players will not feel that way. Your best players will not succumb to pressure. They will just want to go out and perform. And it may work. It may not. But if you can lose that restrictiveness of the fear of the outcome and realize that minute one is just as important as minute 60 in a game. I think those are big things because, you know, the last minute goalies pulled, you're trying to do all this stuff. You're working extra hard. Well, you got to be doing that in minute one of the game as well, because they all count the same. But I think the biggest thing is, is not being afraid of failure, not being afraid to do the thing that is going to screw up, but more, more importantly, go after it and get it done and, and play less restrictive. How were you able to do that in your career? And did you have particular teammates that thought that you thought kind of embodied that uh, and, and were able to, to be in that moment and, and excel in those moments? Well, you do it as a group. And, you know, if I look back at my stats, which I don't ever do, but I, <laughs> I had more points in playoff games than I did regular season because you just want it. I mean, that's where the competitiveness and the desire to win, you just do not want to lose. And you can't control all circumstances, of course. But if you can have a nucleus of guys like that, I think, you know, the teams that we had, um, there was, you know, four or five, six guys that maybe start with it and then it carries on to the, to the rest of the team. And it does get contagious, just like a bad attitude gets contagious in a hockey locker room. If you can, I mean, and if you look at somebody's eyes, you can tell if they're determined or scared. You really can. And the more guys that have those eyes of determination, the better your teams are going to be. Bob Motzko, you referenced him at the beginning and just what uh, what a job he's he's done there and obviously he he you know came after Don Lucia who won two national titles in 2002 2003 those are the most recent for the program what what in particular to you stands out about Bob as as a coach how he's able to have success and as a leader uh, so many ways to answer that i think first is the humility i think bob is does an incredible job of making you feel part of him and part of the program. I can't tell you what an honor it is to actually feel a part of the program. And my youngest is, I'll tell you a funny little story. My youngest has just turned 12 and we were okay. leaving a gopher game. We were leaving a gopher game and I, was, I did the telecast, which I hadn't done in a long time against Michigan. And we were turning left off of University Boulevard onto 35. And my son turned and said, Dad, I feel like Mariucci's my second home. Wow. And yeah. I said, what? He said, yeah, I just feel like I can go all over the rink and just go and find places. And, and I think that is because Bob has left a culture of you are allowed, allowed to be part of the program. And a few times after games, I brought my son down there and it's no problem at all. And, and the only way that you can feel that is if you're welcome. And I think Bob does an incredible job of welcoming all those around him. I'm not even just talking about hockey players or gophers or whatever, but he's a very welcoming guy. And I think that bleeds into the program. Uh, the players that are down there, shake your hand, come up, say hi. They're not looking in a different direction. And I just think above all the things he's done, and he's a guy that's determined, he's got grit, he's got so much going on, but I think he's just an incredible job at welcoming the program back 
protect the alumni and to the current players and, frankly, the whole state of Minnesota or whoever, whoever else followed for hockey. Now, back when you were playing, we kind of took that for granted, right? I mean, the building was like that when you know you were playing under Doug Woog, and we told some great Doug Woog stories uh, over the years, of of course. Um, and and just it, it, something happened along the way, and it, it you know we, the low point probably that you know that Big Ten series a few years ago, the playoff series where there's less than two thousand people there, and some of that circumstance, some of that's time of day, time of year, other stuff, um, you know, the Big Ten things like that, but you know. To have it back to this point where you know where it had been down and now is up again, what, what do you feel in that building right now? And and you know, does it feel like does it feel like it did when you were playing? It feels like a place that you want to be and you need to be there. And if you're not there, you're missing out. That's the best way that I think of it. Is if I can't get to a game, I'm now bummed. I can't be there because of that energy that is in the building. And you know, remember, you go back to the '90s. Well, there was no wild there from 2002. Or uh, nineteen no pro hockey, yeah. And be, right? Yeah, so go for hockey filled that void for a lot of years. And then, of course, they won the national championships in two hundred three, and including Blake Wheeler's famous goal at uh, Excel Energy Center, the place going crazy. So there was time in the wild, and Gophers did coexist in a, an incredible environment. But I, yeah, the W, the Big Ten and WCHA that did make a big impact because you lost that state in state rivalry and the connection that everyone was looking forward to. Uh, and I think, I think again, Bob always said it, if we, if we have a winner, people will come back. And he always said, go for hockey fans are there. We just got to make sure they're coming out and they've, they've reset the bar again. I mean, it's probably even more impressive in this environment with everything that's going on. And especially if you want to even talk about youth kids, you know, we sure. youth hockey players didn't play 11 months a year. You know, <laughs> they, they had time to go to go for hockey games on Friday and Saturday. Now families just don't have as much, but the electricity in the building, student section, you know, sold out crowds. Probably the best thing they did also with the Big Ten ticket prices is drop those because I think you saw what happened when, you know, you say 200,000 people. There's probably like 800 people in that building right. against Michigan. Um, but I just think that electricity that is contagious, again, that you want to be a part of. Now they've got, you know, like I said, Canisius in, in the first round. A lot of experience on Canisius. they got like some guys that are – 25 years old and you know that, that'll happen in, in college hockey but as you think about the tournament as a whole um you know they're the number one overall seed they, they you know you have to declare them the favorite or at least one of the two or three you know heavily favored teams to win it all what what in your mind will be you know the difference maker when it is a one and done when it is a you know could, could probably be some one or two goal games along the way what what is the difference here and how do they come out on top well, I think it does start a, a bit in goaltending as well. And close, I don't know that I've seen a more sound, and granted, I'm not a goaltending expert, but I've seen a lot of goalies play a more sound, technically sound goalie of just his angles and how far he gets out of the net and tracking the puck. So I do look at the goalie first of, you know, what kind of impact are they going to have? And I think there's a lot of faith and trust in Justin and goal. Uh, it can be a game of bounces. You know, we talked about minute one being the same as minute 59. Um, so you just, you can't let teams think that they're in the game and stay in the game. And that's what their first game with Canisius, they're going to have to get that out. That Canisius can't stay with us. Um, they probably are a favorite, but in, in a one game series or event, it's awfully hard to, uh, make sure you're the best team because you just right. don't know how the breaks are going to go. But having said that, I think what's going to, I think last year's experience and losing at the frozen four having the majority of their team back 
you've got a lot of guys that have been there before. So I do think that's going to matter. I do think what we talked also about earlier, those guys aren't going to have the fear. I just know they won't for go for hockey. They, they are here to do something and that's to win a national championship. And I think that drive, you know, is going to be there for more than five guys, but that actually can have an impact on the game. Cause it's one thing to have the drive, but maybe not have the skill set. And I think there's so many gophers that have both. So I, I feel like they're going to have a deep run. How a couple more things for you, Casey, really enjoying this catch up. How hard is it when, you know, just thinking out loud here, I mean, hockey, when it is that single elimination, we talk about, you know, there's, there's upsets in the NCAA basketball tournament that are happening right now, but that's like a race right. to 60, 70, 80 points. And, and over the course of time, you have a chance to come back at a point. If it's, it's a race to three, that really does bring an element into it that you just don't see in, you know, in, in basketball, for example. Yeah, and what makes it exciting, and that's why, again, that first minute is so important, or that first period, because you can't win, you can't win the game in maybe the first ten minutes, but you could certainly lose it by not having the right energy or, or team chemistry or whatever you want to call it, or, or preparation or readiness for the game. But it is, it's that even flow of not getting absolutely so charged up, and then not getting so down on yourself when they do score a goal. And again, teams that have been there before understand that. Um, and I remember being in games and we'd be down and it, and some teams would have this and some teams wouldn't where we would be down two nothing. And you think on the bench, well, these guys don't even stand a chance. I know we're going to come back. And sure enough, you would because you would not get so down. And again, I think the leadership and the character are going to play pivotal roles during the ups and downs of these playoffs for the Gophers. Yeah, it should be fun to watch. Casey, any final thoughts? I mean, I know you're checking out the wild you're checking out all these things you're a fan of all sports so I, i'm hoping you're enjoying this time of year yeah it's a, it's a fun time of year i mean specifically to the hockey it's a tough game it's a physical game you know there's more block shots that have never been before there's just there's so much grit and determination and skill and it's one of those weird games that you can't really have one or two players control the whole outcome they can dictate some of it but not necessarily control it so for me it's always a, a fun game uh, to watch i i have so much pride in the Gophers and certainly hope that they do the best they can, but they've also just been so entertaining to watch all season long. And then I think the other thing that's going to be interesting and it's going to be good with Mariucci going to the smaller ice sheet is, you know, they play on a big ice surface, which I would say is definitely to their advantage. And now they've got to go to a smaller ice sheet. They've proven they can win and they can do that. But I do think that always makes a little bit of difference at the end of the year too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, these should, games should be fun starting with, Thursday against Canisius. Casey Hankinson, great catching up with you. Um, enjoy uh, enjoy some well-earned time off. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Michael. Great catching up with you, too. Always enjoy catching up with Casey Hankinson. Even better that we get to do it for a podcast this time. Hope you guys enjoyed that as well. Just good perspectives on what this year has meant to him, what it's meant to a lot of alums, what it's meant to a lot of fans. Plain and simple to have this program back to where it was in the past and maybe even exceeding some of those years in the past as well. Okay, I mentioned at the beginning that uh, that a lot of you just don't care about the negativity. Uh, it seems like some of you, though, are trending towards the negative. I saw this thing uh, earlier this week, a study apparently from gambling.com. I don't, the methodology on this is very strange. I can't really get a handle on how this was all put together. It just basically looks like an Excel spreadsheet that got cut and pasted. So I'm not going to go too deep into how much, how valid I think this was, but basically they put out, uh, they, they did some kind of research on social media and how negative all 32 NFL fan bases are 
towards since the start of NFL free agency this year, which isn't very long, right? This is like a week that they've been in free agency, 10 days since, since, since the start of you know the, the legal tampering period, whatever you want to call that. Um, but what did strike me is that the Vikings were the most, Vikings fans were the most negative, and by far on Twitter, they were the most negative, like by a massive amount. I'm just reading, I'm, look, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at it right now. Now, again, the, the methodology on this, uh, the, the methodology is, is rough, but in terms of negative Twitter posts, I'm just going to isolate on Twitter because then you don't got to add all these things together, stuff like that. It says the Vikings fans, 37.2% of all tweets since free agency began have been negative. No other team, no other fan base was more than 20%, and no more than three were above 15%. The Vikings fans up at 37.2%. Again, I have no idea how this was compiled. I have no idea if it's valid or true. What I do know is that when this gets when this got shared on social media pretty widely this week, uh, a lot of people were like, "Yeah, that checks out. Story checks out. The Vikings are Vikings fans are very uh, very negative on social media." And I don't know what the what the reasoning for that is, what you know, what's going on here. Maybe it's a lot of worrying about what's going to happen. Maybe it's some of it's you know wondering about you know maybe some of it's Adam Thielen un- unhappy about him getting cut. Maybe some of it's uh, you know wondering what's going to happen with Kirk Cousins. I don't know what it is. I don't know why people are so particularly negative right now. I do know that there's a lot of angst in the fan base just in general. That happens when you don't win a Super Bowl for forever, uh, more than sixty years now. I have been uh, I- I've witnessed a lot of that. I get it. I understand why there's a lot of angst, but. Man, if they really, if this really is the most negative Twitter space by far of any fan base, maybe we gotta, maybe we gotta get this, gotta, gotta get this a little bit more, uh, a little bit more toned down. Maybe we gotta get a little more happy, a little bit, little bit less aggressive in that space, a little bit more understanding of what's going on. I don't know. And again, I don't know how real this is. But I believe it, and that's the thing. I believe it based on what I've seen on Vikings Twitter. So there you have it. Vikings fans, the most negative on social media, and particularly Twitter, uh, of all the NFL fan bases, at least according to this this uh, you know very unscientific study that I saw and has been widely circulating on uh, on, on the internet and social media this week. Time to check my social media, y'all. Just see who loves me online. Life. Speaking of social media, that is the new introduction to any uh, any segment where I take questions from Twitter. Kind of a funny backstory. That song is called Virtual Life, and it's been on a lot of TikTok videos in the last few weeks, last few months. Uh, my kids love it. They 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 sing it. They sing it around the house like all the time. They'll just bellow it out. Even my three year old uh, will sing it. Uh, they they just think it's hilarious, and I think it's hilarious too. And I love it. So I started thinking about. How funny it would be! How fun it would be to be able to use that at the beginning of, you know, to, be, to use it on the show, to use it as a kind of the introduction to any, you know, reader feedback, listener feedback that I get. So I got to do things on the up and up, though. I, I want to get permission if I'm going to use something, even though it's you know all over the internet stuff like that. So basically, it's a song from several years ago. I tracked down um, one of the original artists, Dustin Akui. Uh, I find him on Instagram, and I'm like, okay, this is a long shot, but I send him a, a DM on, on Instagram. I'm like, hey, I, I love this song. I'd love to use the first you know, handful of seconds on my podcast. Uh, let me know if that's okay. I don't hear him from, from him for like a week, and I'm like, ah, oh, he probably just didn't get it, or maybe he's just ignoring it. But then a couple nights ago, he responds and says, yes, absolutely. That's great. I would love it. You have my permission. So we like kind of, you know, been, been trading messages back. I'm going to send him a link to the podcast so he can hear it. Uh, but I, I love that. I love that song. I, it's just hilarious to me. It's a parody, a, a parody song 
but uh, it, it's it's amazing, and uh, so you'll be hearing that occasionally when I do do a a, a listener a listener section, a listener feedback section. So hope you do enjoy that. Now the question itself, let's get to that. Matt Wells wants to know with Mark Andre Fleury voted by the NHLPA as best guy to have in a locker room. Who is the best guy or gal in the other locker rooms in town, including at Star Tribune Sports? I'm going I'm to take the easy way out. I'm just going to answer this question in terms of the Star Tribune. Who are the best people at the Star Tribune? Um, and, and honestly, I, I, I love all of my colleagues, but here's, here's a Chip Scoggins story because Chip Scoggins is an all-star. He is one of my favorites there. He's one of the, the best friends of the podcast. Um, you know, I've had tremendous help from a lot of people in, in, within the newsroom, Patrick Royce. Chip, Lavelle, everybody who's jumped on, Chris Hines, Sarah McClellan. I could go on and on and on about all the people who come on. But Chip, I asked him the other day, hey, I'm doing this post on uh, on Hendon Hooker, the uh, the quarterback for Tennessee. Um, and he and I had been texting a little bit about it the other day. It's like, hey, I'm not really a Tennessee Volunteers expert, but I saw he got, you know, a couple people have him going to the Vikings in a mock draft. Can I use a little bit of the information you, you've given me on text uh, in the post I'm doing? And in, I'm just thinking he's going to say, sure, go ahead. Instead, he writes like, 300 400 words for me that's more detailed that's more fleshed out that's more kind of you know what he wanted in his own words what he what he wanted to express about it and then even changed one of those sentences you know said hey i have uh, here's a few thoughts here, here's some things uh, i corrected one of them here what do you think so chip Scoggins, a guy that's always going to go above and beyond so matt wells um, he is he is one of my he was one of the good guys in the uh, strip sports locker room. We got a lot of good ones, but I'm going to give a shout out to Chip in that regard for going above and beyond so often, including on this podcast and including the other day in that in that post that I was working on. Let's do one more from Russell Richardson. Wants to know if Byron Buxton plays more games at DH than center field. Do the Twins still make the playoffs? That's assuming they would make the playoffs, even if he was in center field more than at DH. I don't know. I'm a little more optimistic about their outfield this year. I think the trade for Michael A. Taylor was a good move, or the acquiring Michael A. Taylor was a good move. I think they've got some depth there as long as Joey Gallo can play some in the outfield, doesn't have to spend all his time at first base as long as they're healthy enough there. So I think the plan at the beginning with Buxton to be DH, I guess that's okay with me. I think they still do need him, though, at least approaching an even split. If it's, you know, if it's a, you know, if he plays two-thirds of his game it's games at DH and one-third of his, of his games in center field. I think that's going to be a bad a bad omen for their whole season. So I'm going to say it's got to be at least close to an even split. I don't know if it's got to be more in center field than, than, than DH, but I think if you're going to get full value from Byron Buxton, he's got to be in the outfield more often than not, or at least close to that number. So I want to see it. I want to see him be in the outfield. I want to see him healthy enough to be out there because he impacts games that way just as much as he does with his bat, if not more. Let's finish with the cooler. Like I said at the beginning, Minnesota United. I'm not the foremost Minnesota United expert. I follow them. I cover them, you know, from a, from a journalistic standpoint. Love having Adrian Heath on. But I deferred to my good friend John Marthaler, who writes a lot more about soccer than I do. said, hey, John, how big of a deal is this? Is the signing of Sang Bing Jung? He said, quite a big deal, actually. And I agree. Um, but he kind of laid out why. You know, they, they need goals. They need playmakers. They need scoring, especially in the absence of Emmanuel Reynoso right now. So this signing by the Loons, they welcomed him to uh, to the to the team just uh, just today officially. That was a big deal. This gives them another opportunity to uh, to have a playmaker, some creativity, some finishing. You know, comes over has got a pretty good pedigree, obviously from you know from where he's been playing so far. So that is a big deal for the Loons. We'll see. You know, kind of how quickly he can get acclimated 
But, I mean, his pedigree alone is worth it. I mean, he's coming here on loan from Wolverhampton to the Premier League. I mean, that's the best league in the world. And so, you know, if they're signing him to this three-year contract, if they're, if they're thinking they're bringing in a young player, you know, 22 years old, you know, Sang Bin Jung could be a big deal for the Loons. We'll see exactly how they were able to use him, exactly, it's like I said, how long it takes him to get up to speed here. But this could be a pretty big deal for them. This could be a pretty big you know, pretty big acquisition. It's been rumored for a while that they've been after someone of his caliber, and uh, and they finally were able to get him. So that is a good get for the Loons, and I think it could be a pretty big deal for them going forward. That will do it for me today. Chris Hine from the Star Tribune, another one of the All-Stars, uh, will join me on Friday's show. At least that's the plan right now. Talk more Cats return. Talk more big picture with this team. Eight games left, a lot of big ones along the way. We will get into that on Friday's show. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. Thanks for listening. Back at it again tomorrow.